cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yay. She's adorable. She's very cute. She does have a very chantable name. Why don't we pray, though, so I can focus? No, that's okay. Jesus, thank you for this community. Thank you for the love that they have for one another. Thank you um, for pulling us together, for giving us this building in miraculous ways. Jesus, I want to come as the pastor of this community tonight and acknowledge where we're at. I want to acknowledge that there's a group of us who are really happy to be here. We're excited about figuring out how to live a life that is like you. There's others of us who are just trying to hold it together in our minds mentally. We're trying to hold it together with our anxieties and with our fears. Um, And we're here. That's about all we can say. Some of us are just struggling with belief and if we actually think that you're even real. But again, we're here. And so we ask that you would take all of us and that you would honor us being here and that your Holy Spirit would give us courage to believe what's true and to push out what's false and that you would give us a deep compassion for one another and a taste of who you are in the midst of all of our joys and brokenness. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, most of us, if you're anything like me, don't really like authority. Um, I am, by nature, a contrarian. I'm not sure if it's genetic or if it's uh, just environment, but I look at my children, and they're contrarians, and my parents over here are a little bit of contrarian in them. Um, so I'm wondering if it's genetic or not. But I, if you tell me to do something, I don't want to do it, which is what contrarian means, if you were wondering. Um, so I, I don't like authority. Um, and, but it's interesting because it's not that I don't like authority. I just don't like other people to have authority. I'm fine with me having authority, right? I'm okay with that. And I've run into some problems with that lately in my family and that I uh, will say to my children, why are you doing that? And they say, because mom said it's okay. And I think, wait a minute, who's in charge here? I can't say no, because then I'm saying that I'm always in charge, and, and, but I don't. So I, I, all of a sudden there's this who's in charge kind of thing, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. But authority is always in our life. There's always somebody telling us what to do, and we're kind of rating do they actually have a right to tell us tonight we're gonna paul's gonna kind of give us some serious things in first uh, thessalonians and he wants the thessalonians and by proxy meaning us also to know something about what he's going to say like why it's important so we're in first thessalonians which is in the new testament paul is an apostle He's a follower of Jesus. We're in chapter 4, verse 1. And it starts out this way. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to to please God, as in fact you are living. 
Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So the first thing that Paul starts out talking about is, hey guys, remember what we told you. It was from the Lord and you're doing a really good job. Like, you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing, right? But guess what? I'm going to tell you some really hard stuff. So I want you to know that they're not my words. Okay? These are not my words. These are the Lord's words. And he keeps wanting to... And and so he puts in there the Lord Jesus, right? The King, the one who's in charge. It's by his authority that I tell you stuff. Okay? Now here's the problem. Even with it coming from Paul, he's got to spend three weeks with them before he left it's going to be really hard for them to take it unless they understand why he's making the appeal from God. Like why Jesus can have an authority and actually make you do something or want, make you want to do something. And the first three chapters of, of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that the power of the kingdom of God comes from love. The power of the kingdom of God comes from love. And where it comes from is at the foot of the cross. So Paul's saying, I'm about to tell you something. It comes from the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is not speaking it from way up here. He's speaking it from the bottom of the cross. What he has to say comes from the ultimate expression of love, his death for you. Okay, So he's not asking you to do things or putting kind of instructions in front of you out of wanting to lord it over you. He's offering you these out of love. And the result of love is grace and peace. So the way that you and I understand that we, where the authority of Jesus comes from is that we've experienced grace. The reason that Paul is appealing and saying this authority comes from the Lord is Paul hasn't died or done anything too dramatic for the Thessalonians in comparison to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus has given his life for you. The thing he has is grace, which is loving kindness of God just poured out on you. Okay? And the result of that is peace. Right? He opens all his letters, grace and peace. Those things come from love. Here's where my authority comes from. Right? So when you listen to Paul offering you the words of Jesus, I don't want you to hear them from me. That's Pastor Eric. I don't want you to hear him from some probably half-blind, bald guy in the first century named Paul. Neither does Paul. Paul wants you to hear what he's about to say as coming from the foot of the cross, from the empty tomb, and then from the Son who sits at the right hand of the Father. Not the other way around. Okay? His authority comes from his death for you. His authority comes from his resurrection for you. Okay? This is where the appeal comes from. And this is why we can listen. And so Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's great. So this word sanctified, I never use it. I've never, I mean, other than sitting up in front and saying sanctified, 
You know, I, I never, in disciplining my kids, say, prepare to be sanctified. I have the spoon of sanctification, the time out of sanctification. I, I don't use this word sanctification, right? Most of us don't use that word. So we hear that, and we're like, okay, it's God's will to be sanctified. So let's kind of bring it down a little bit in that this word can also be translated holy. Again, not a word that you and I use all the time. Like, I don't say again when I am offering good words to my son, like, you're doing a good job and you're becoming holy. Congratulations. Like, I don't, I don't say that either. Holy is, again, a word I use here at church. Sanctified. So let me kind of bring it down a little bit more. Paul says earlier that we should be blameless and holy, and these are actually two of the same words. So anytime that you see the word sanctifying, I want you to think two things. Number one, the will of God is that you be blameless. That's the first thing that sanctified means, or holy. And the second thing is kind of expanded, but it means set apart. So you're to be blameless and set apart. So when it says God's will is that you be sanctified, he's saying that you be blameless and set apart. And that set-apartness has to do with being a priest. Okay, so you can think of it that way. You're supposed to be a blameless priest in the kingdom of God. That's what sanctified means. Well, it doesn't take me very long to think through things and realize, you know, I'm not very blameless. Haven't been blameless since I was born. Pretty sure that I haven't been blameless. You haven't been blameless since you're born. But here's the interesting thing. It says that God's will is that you be blameless or holy, set apart. Okay. As a pastor, a lot of times I sit with you guys and everybody has this question. Well, what's the will of God for my life? Like, should I marry her? Shouldn't I marry her? Should I go to this college? Shouldn't I go to the college? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I throw everything in Colorado away and stay here? That sounds like the will of God to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I throw that in there. Right? A lot of times we build the will of God around events. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? But over and over again, when I read the Bible, I have yet to find anywhere in here where it says Julie and Nathan Cooley need to stay at the village. Never read, nor should they go to Colorado. It has nothing in here about those things at all. All the time at the will of God, the thing that God wants you to do is usually built around praying without ceasing, usually around being holy. The will of God is that you be blameless, that you be a priest in his kingdom. That's what he wants. So we need to talk about this word sanctified, okay? Because it's important for what Paul's about to say. So the first thing is, is that I'm actually blameless. Because when I chose to follow Jesus, I was given the Spirit of God, and my state is blameless, and I am a priest in the kingdom of God. No, none of you can take that away from me. You can try real hard, but you can't take it away from me. I am blameless, and I am a priest. It's my state. It's who I am. It's what's been declared about me. It's what's been declared about you if you're a follower of Jesus. The second part of being sanctified is that it's actually a process. So scripture continually talks about getting rid of the old man, putting on the new man, becoming 
The old creation is gone. The new creation has come. Colossians 3 talks all about putting on new clothes. Right? It's a process. Sanctification is a process. I have to learn in this time between the cross and Jesus returning, I have to learn how to be blameless. I have to practice being a priest in the kingdom of God. Peter expands this in 1 Peter and says that my job, us as individuals and as a community, is to declare how I came out of the darkness and into the light. That's the process right, of sanctification, a continually proclaiming what God is doing to transform me into who I already am. Okay? So there's a state of who I am, there's the process I'm in, and then there is a future hope. Because it's very pointless if this doesn't all get finished. If there's not a completion. The reason that I'm willing to move forward and, and follow Jesus is because he promises that that state that I am will have a full realization when he returns. Right? So Paul is saying, the thing that we need you to do is we need you to step into sanctification. Grab hold of your state. Practice the process. Look forward to what Jesus is going to do in the end. Okay? And then Paul does a very classic thing. He gets really practical when he talks about sanctification. Now, if you've read ahead a little bit, you'll see that he's talking about sex. Now, if you have kids, I promise this will be very G. Um, Occasionally, we might bump up to PG. But here's what I'll say to you children who are here. We have a lovely partnership with your parents. Sometimes you may not understand what's being said here. Your parents will clarify it. Sometimes your parents are extremely confusing. Hopefully the church will clarify it for you. Right? We have a partnership. So if there are things that you don't understand that I talk about, you should ask your parents. And hopefully they'll explain it and not say, we never understand what Eric is saying. Okay? That's what we're hoping. So it is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust with the he- like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Okay. Paul offers a very practical process. Okay. The first thing that Paul says is that you are to avoid immoral sexuality. Right? You're supposed to avoid everything that's outside of marriage sexually. Now, he's hammering on this sexual thing, and here's the thing about it. Paul understands that the church he's speaking to is not sitting around at church on Sunday morning or whenever they meet together, saying, hmm, yeah, let's, let's all, like, maybe we should do this sexual and moral thing. Like, I don't know. Should we do it? No, maybe. Ah, I think I'd like to get a divorce and, and marry your wife. We could swap wives. How do you feel about that? They're not having that conversation. Guess what? They're already doing that. In Greco-Roman culture, for a long time, morality was actually very important. But by the time the early church comes on the scene, the Greco-Roman culture has begun to break down. So much so that some philosophers would say that the, the women, the celebrity women of the time, 
got married to get divorced and divorced to get married. We have, when we go through the garbage dumps, when historians go through the garbage dumps, guess what they find a lot of? Writs of divorce. Lots of people being divorced eight, nine, ten times. In a Greek household, you had your wife, or your, usually your wife, to take care of your kids and, and kind of carry the family honor. You had your mistress to talk to you intelligently about things. And then you had your prostitute to take care of you sexually. So you had these three women. Now guess what? They all showed up at church together because they all found Jesus. And now you have a very messed up family life. And your other husband is over there with his three wives. It's messy. So you think that all of what's going on in our culture and everything that we're wrestling with, with gender and sexuality, is something new? Paul was probably pulling out the few hairs that he had And this is why he comes down to avoid. We need to avoid sexual immorality. We need to control our bodies and stop taking advantage of people. And we do not need to take advantage of our brothers and sisters. Now, the reality is, is that, yes, we're probably in a different place as a community, the village, than the first you know, this church that Paul's talking to. But I know enough about all of you to know that we're all wrestling with some form of sexual immorality. We're all wrestling with the fact that even when it's not a choice for us, our eyes and ears and mind are exposed to a lot of things that our eyes and ears and mind just don't need to be exposed to. Sometimes not even by our own choice. It just bombards us, right? And, and it becomes enticing and we begin to not want to avoid and not want to control and not want and, and we would like to try to figure out how to take advantage of one another. But in all of that, if you're anything like me, when you hear these kinds of things, you either go to one or two places. One, you just feel a lot of shame because that is you. You haven't avoided, you haven't stopped taking advantage of people and when you hear these words you're just like there's just a lot of shame and all you want to do is run and hide you don't want anyone to see you you don't want to think about it and you pour a lot of contempt on yourself or you hear these commands and you're like oh man i messed up yesterday but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna pull you know i'm gonna get my bootstraps i have no idea what bootstraps are but i'm gonna find them and i'm gonna pull them up and i'm gonna do something because this is how i'm gonna become holy because i'm supposed to be sanctified and that's the process it's called bootstrapping it right that's what paul asks us to do to understand why paul asks us to do this we need to talk about a very complex way of being as people um, that I'm going to try to explain to you in two minutes. It's something that I've, uh, the way I understand how you and I function as human beings and why Paul addresses the things that have to do with our body and particularly sexuality. So what I believe makes you and I up is spirit, soul, and body, okay? Physical, the physical house of us, okay? So, to understand these three things, we have to first start with the Trinity, okay? Now, I don't have like 10 weeks right now to talk about the Trinity, so we're going to start with C.S. Lewis. 
When C.S. Lewis explains the Trinity, one of the things he talks about is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in a dance. Okay? They're dancing. And that you and I are invited into that dance. Now, in the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve got to dance. And they got to dance with the Trinity. And it says that they walked with God in the cool of the night. Now, Jonathan Edwards, who's a famous American theologian, dead, very dead, very, very dead. But he said, it's not only a dance, but actually the God the Father is pouring all of himself into God the Son. And God the Son is pouring all of himself into God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is pouring all of himself into God the Father. And this pouring goes round this way and around that way so that there is this outpouring of everything that they are. Now, if you decide to be a follower of Jesus, I mean, we kind of got kicked out of the dance when we decided to, to disobey. But Jesus enters into time, and when you and I decide to follow Jesus, we are given a deposit. The Spirit of God actually extends his hand to us. So when you become a Christian, the Trinity says, can we have this dance? And you grab the hand, right? And, when, and there's a lot that happens in that. But one of the things that happens when you and I step into that in our spirit is that we are given an identity. Like we're told who we are. We get a taste of who we are. Now here's the thing. Spiritual tastes of the Trinity aren't something you just get all day, every day. Well, one, you'd probably just go crazy. It'd be so overwhelming. But you know what I'm talking about because all of you are here. If you come to church on Sunday, at some point, somewhere, even in the smallest way, you tasted the dance. You tasted the dance. And you know who you are. Now it's so easy to forget who you are. It's so easy, and we forget. Now, part of the nature of being created by a God who is deeply and intimately in relationship with himself is that when he creates people... He creates them to be in relationship with each other. And that's where our soul comes from. So our relationship. And in our souls, that's where our emotions are seated. So that's where you have that that longing to know who you are in the sense of being loved and having impact. This is the place where things become tangible. When someone does something kind for you or recognizes you, you feel something deep there. Right? Only the problem is that in our souls there's still this brokenness because we're still in the process. And so one of the predominant experiences that we have in the world because we're outside of the garden and the taste of the dance is usually just a taste is that we're lonely. And relationship with you guys though it has its highs also has its lows. The dads and moms fail at such deep ways that our soul just feels empty, right? And we have lots of different ways of dealing with that. Now, I want to pause here before we get to the body part and say that when it comes to sexuality, I spend a lot of time listening to therapists. It's a hobby of mine. I know you think I'm weird, but I listen to therapists. I, I spend a lot of time reading about trauma therapy. I listen to the conversation happening in the world, not with 
fellow believers, but people who are out there doing it as a profession in the universities. And here's the thing that they're saying about gender fluidity, homosexuality, sexual addiction, all these struggles that seem to have been coming up in our society and we're wrestling with them scientifically and all this other thing. Ultimately, what they all kind of say, but are terrified to say it publicly, but they say it a lot in their lectures in their universities and when they're talking to each other on podcasts, and that is that everybody's lonely and relationship has disappeared. And when there is no relationship, when there is no soul touching, your sexuality becomes blurred. Your understanding of who you are in a deepest sense becomes blurred. And we begin to wrestle with the very essence of the meaning of life. Because it's just this pang of loneliness and understanding when it comes to who you are. I say all of that is because that's where most of us are when we get to Paul saying to us, you need to avoid sexual immorality. You're like, thanks, I'm empty. You're like, oh, okay. What do you say to that, Paul? Well, Paul understands something. He understands that this body that you and I have has five senses, right? You can see things, you can hear things, you can touch things, you can taste things, you can smell things. And guess what? This physical body, it helps you understand the world. And the enemy knows that too. And your physiology knows that too. And the world knows that. And so guess what? We, what the enemy and the world and even our own broken nature wants to go to. This physical body, because guess what? Our sexuality, our addiction, our drug use, our overeating, that compulsive overeating, we can go through a whole list of things. What it does is it produces a chemical rush in your body and it fills it with dopamine and a bunch of other things and it makes you forget for just a little moment that you're empty And it pushes you further and further away from the dance because when you taste who you are and have a spiritual experience, you have two things that happen to you. One, you feel so loved. And two, you're like, oh man, I'm outside of the garden. I'm not. Jesus, come home quickly, right? There's that experience. And so it's so much easier to sit in our physicality in that rush of things and not worry and just numb out. But Paul understands something. Paul understands that you can't dive in and deal with the other things. He does deal with them a lot. But the reason that he goes practically after our sexuality is that he knows that good emotions follow good choices. You can see this through all of his letters, is that you will find God when you make good choices. That holiness actually is built around obedience. And Paul believes that the route back to your soul is a route of obedience. The route back to your soul is a route of obedience. The route back into the dance is obedience. Now, I know it's hard. Paul knows it's hard. And we're all in a place where Trying to hold on to what is true is like trying to hold on to a tightrope over the Niagara Falls. You're going to fall off all the time. Like You're just going to fall off. It's hard to hold on to what's true. It's hard to be obedient. Paul understands that. But he does have some hard words for people who decide that they don't want to try that route. 
So he says, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take an advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, and, and I like this about Paul, is that he's okay with you. He's okay with his church being really messed up. He's okay with all of the, their struggles. But he's constantly going to go back to, but it's important to be pure. It's important to be holy. The Holy Spirit is with you. Don't reject God. Don't reject God. Now, saying, I have a hard time being obedient. I have a hard time dealing with my sexuality. That's not rejecting God. That's being honest. And so I want to offer you tonight just a few practical things to approach your sexuality. One that I I don't have up here is that I would encourage you to get into a pilgrim group if you're not in one or some kind of community where you're forced to be honest about your sexuality. Where that's there in front of you. But, I want to first start with choice. One of the things that we believe as we face our own struggles with our sexuality or with anything else is that we get to a place where we just don't have choice. We think, I don't have a choice. It just happens to me, right? Today I I found a bag of licorice and I'd already had three pieces of it and I thought, there's one piece left. I don't need this piece. And I thought, oh, but I really want this piece. And then God said, but you said you had a choice. And so I threw the piece away. I said, I have a choice, and I threw it away. And that's just a little thing, right? But we don't believe, we believe that somehow we just stumble through life. But the reality is, no matter how difficult the choice is, you still have a choice. You need to acknowledge that you're making a choice to not avoid, to take advantage, to to grab hold of. Now, if you can acknowledge you have a choice, then you can step into the second step, and that is to repent. And here's the thing about repentance. Repentance is a work that God does in you. But a key element to repentance is confession. So the thing that you can do practically when dealing with your own brokenness is that you can actually say it out loud. Because the thing that the enemy wants, and the thing that the world offers, and actually the thing that your own chemistry wants, is secrets. Darkness wants secrets. The role of a priest who's going to be set aside, who's a holy priest, making declarations from darkness to light, is not, yea, Jesus has done great things in my life. That's a good declaration. But a key one as a priest is to say, I've lived in darkness and it's wrong. Here's my darkness. Here it is. Bringing your brokenness, your choices, out into the light and just saying, here it is. I need healing. Right? You say it to the community. You say it to Jesus. Acknowledge you have a choice. Speak out what you have. Ask God to turn you around, to intervene. And the third thing 
and this is key, is that you have to choose to minister. And this is the thing that we often don't realize, is that as we face our own brokenness, the, the key to, being, to repenting is for me to step into this room after confession, looking to minister to you, not to be ministered to. That when I declare my own brokenness, I am looking then for where you are hurting, where your soul is empty, where you have moved away from the taste of the dance, and trying to speak to that, listening to that, looking for it. Okay? I walk in here and basically say, it's not about me. It's about Jesus and these people of whom Jesus loves. So the key to avoiding, the key to not being part is not to beat yourself of, sex, of immoral sexuality and all these other things. It's not to beat yourself up for what is. The key is being willing to say, okay, I have a choice in these things. Here's my confession. Now how can I go out and care for people? So, that's Paul's little short offering of what he wants his community to do. I actually have five minutes. So, does anybody have any questions to kind of wrestle with this? And before we do that, we need the handheld mic. You got it? Thanks. So with the, uh, this choice, repent and minister, it seems like that is more of like a, a cycle or uh, some, something that starts and stops and changes direction rather than like I was living in darkness and I've turned from it and now I'm going to help others right. come out of that. I, I guess I hear the enemy saying like, okay, well, this is a, kind of a step one, step two, step three. And then once you're at step three, it's like, now go help everybody else that's at step one. Right. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's, a, it's a circle of constant. It is the process of sanctification out of many processes. But it, right. yeah. Does anyone else? Yes. You're going to have to be my I'll be the mic person. Mic person. Can you talk a little bit more about choice? That choice, that the example you gave was pretty simple, but there is some sure. things like, you know, oh, I'm stuck in a bad marriage. Not that I am, but... <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, some, something like you don't really have a control over. Like, can you talk more about how we can find choice in those situations or how can we break through from just being... <laughs> well... And, and when it comes to, to, yes, so on the outside of the curve of choice, if, if you are a slave, you don't have choice. Um, but you do have choice inside your mind. Sometimes that's very difficult to find, and those are the extremes. But I'll quote my dad since he's here. He always says, we all stop at stoplights. Right? We, we know how to stop. We make a choice. We don't have to stop at stoplights. Like we're volitional beings. They're, but choices are hard. I'm not saying, like there's a cost. A lot of times the reason is we don't want to pay the cost for the choice because there's a lot of loneliness we have to face and emptiness. But I see my dad raising his hand. He'd answer it much better than I would. So I'm gonna let. Yes, we all stop at red lights. But most of us. Yeah, well, uh, you, you made a point of, of 
of the choice of, with the licorice. Yeah. And I uh, that that is it may seem um, that's very important because it's it's the idea of us building a habit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and to just I can't quote Dallas Willard in this, but we really are an out of control society with our bodies. We don't control that. Right. And so we there are these smaller choices. And in your question, okay, if we're in and out of we're in we're never out of control. We can choose to sit in the sorrow. We can choose to sit in the sorrow of things aren't going the way I really want them or they're not happening the way I want them. And but those little choices are so important. And I, I, I confess that I struggled with food. And, and, and it, there's times when I'm out driving around Tucson running errands and think, I, I, I'm just going to stop for a, a bagel. But I don't need a bagel. And there are times I, I, I realize that I, can choo- I choose, I drive by the place, I do not go there. Because that is, a, that, that is just um, a relationship with... With uh, with something that that's um, that brings even more pain, so I I I think as you're talking about it, what you brought up, Corey, was this idea. It, it's not a step by step, but it, it's right. a matter of many choices that are being made, and we move into repentance, and we can then move into being available to by our life and and our changing. We've got to deal with our body. Yeah. One one more question. We have time for one more before we close. Anyone else? Thoughts? All right. I don't see any hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this community and for their wisdom. I just ask that as we uh, step into dealing with very hard issues um, that I didn't spend a lot of time kind of fleshing out, but I would ask that you would give people courage to to flesh them out tonight over the picnic tables and that they would set up um, coffee dates and invite people over just to talk through this stuff. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.